So we're going to be talking this morning about surely goodness and mercy. And as we come into this, the, the last phrase we're looking at today is this closing piece that the choir did that. Um, that was gorgeous anthem. Uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. And, and just as I look at that, you know, what, what really jumps out at me when I first see that is, is the certainty or the conviction of the statement. You know, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Now, when you read it in different translations, sometimes it's going to say, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord uh, as long as I live or forever or what. I mean, there's different, and, and that's just because there's different texts from way back when that reflect that different language. But, but the, the sense is that this is where we're going to be from now on. And, and that certainty of that language. Uh, when I was in seminary and we were taking classes in, in Methodist polity and we're studying the discipline, which really no one should have to do, but anyhow, um, <clears throat> what can I say? It's kind of the law book of the church. And, and one of the pieces of the language is that in the discipline, when you read through it, when it says things like will or, you know, you know we encourage this, that, or the other, there's some, there's some leeway in there. But when the language says you shall do this, that, that's mandatory, you know, you're not supposed to really, that's, you don't, you're not supposed to question, you're just supposed to do that. And so when you read through this language, you know, to me, that's kind of what jumped out at me when the first time I read it, you know, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, that, that sense of, of certainty and conviction about that. And so as I begin this morning, I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, do, do you, do you really live from that place of, of certainty or do you live from more place of maybe? Let's pray. Almighty Father, may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, so to get to that place of certainty, you know, you, you kind of have to move through this, this movement of the psalm. And, and the psalmist writes this in a very certain way. So he begins, you know, reminding us that, that, that the Lord is our shepherd and we are the sheep. The Lord is our shepherd and we are the sheep. And, and because of that, we trust the Lord to provide for us, to take care of us, to, to supply what we really need in life. And because we find all that we need in God's abundance, we are not people who live in want. And, and when we, when we needy sheep, when we begin to overfunction and we try to take things back in our own hands, and we find that we are uh, overwhelmed with life <clears throat> and have taken on more than we can possibly do, uh, God makes us to lie down. Uh, he leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He He makes us stop and be humbled. And be willing to let God restore us and bring us back to wholeness again. And being brought back to wholeness and being restored, God then takes us by the hand and leads us in right paths for his name's sake. Not for our glory, not for our credit, not for the church's credit, but for God's credit to be led into those right paths. And, and those right paths sometimes lead us into difficult places. Uh, sometimes because there's opposition to where God is going and, and sometimes because that's just where those paths lead in life is into those dark valleys where we face the things that we fear the most um, up to and including our own mortality and the reality of our own death. And we discover that as God leads us in those dark valleys, those places where we would normally be afraid, we learn that if we are really claiming God as our shepherd, instead of living in fear, we find that his presence with us uh, gives us courage and gives us hope and gives us light. 
And God, as our shepherd, leads us through life. And, and even in those kinds of, of places where we are in the presence of our enemies, God sets the table for us. Our cup overflows, and, and God anoints us. God blesses us, even in the very presence of our enemies, whether they are enemies without or enemies within ourselves. And, and we discover that even in the, in the presence of those things that, that would destroy us, God still blesses us and sustains us. And so having come through that whole experience of learning to lean into the shepherd and, and trust the shepherd and, and rely on the shepherd, we come to this last little bit where surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Um, Bob Lively in his book, when he's talking about this, he makes a really interesting comment. Uh, he says that uh, most of the time when he thinks of shepherds, you know, he thinks of being led. You know, the shepherd leads us. And, and we know there's passages in Scripture that refer to it in that way. But he says here that the shepherd comes behind us. And he talks about being in New Mexico one time on a retreat and watching a, a group of Native Americans herding their sheep. And he said he noticed that the, the, the shepherd came behind the herd. You know, the dogs were on either side to keep them, you know, pinned in, and the shepherd followed the herd. And so that's how the shepherd guided the herd was from behind. He says, you know, sometimes goodness and mercy, instead of being something that we're, is out in front of us to lead us, actually is, is coming along behind us and, and supporting us and encouraging us. And, and the things that we look for in the future are actually already with us, behind us and, and encouraging us and, and hurting us into God's blessing. And I, and I thought about that as, he, as I was reading through that, that, that kind of statement. And I thought, okay, that's, that's, I hadn't thought of it that way and kind of wrestled with that a little bit. And, and then I began to realize, you know, how often we go through life and, and in the midst of situations we're in, we're so immersed in the moment, uh, in the present, the things we're wrestling with that, that sometimes we, we feel disconnected from God. And then later on when we look back on it, all of a sudden we're going, oh, wait. Yeah, I can see where God was doing this here, or I can see where God sent this person. I mean, in hindsight, we can see where God's goodness and mercy was, was shepherding us through that difficult situation, even at the moment, though, when we weren't aware of it. And I, as, on, on this Father's Day, I, I particularly kind of, you know, I'm thinking back to you know, my own dad and, and, and my upbringing. Um, I don't know how y'all you know, think about things like that, but, but for me, it was probably somewhere around college or, or, or master's at my graduate school level, when I began to realize uh, all the ways that my dad was a blessing in my life. Uh, when I went to school and I began to hear people say things like, it's hard for me to pray our father because my memory of my father is as an alcoholic and an abuser. And, and I began to realize, boy, you know, I, I had a really good dad, you know. I mean, he really was a blessing in my life. Um, I can remember sitting at the kitchen table in our home after uh, my father passed away, and my sister and I and my mother were there going through some estate stuff, and, and my mother was really angry at my dad for dying, because that's you know, one of the things we do when people die, sometimes we get angry with them, but she was really mad at him because uh, they had all these plans for retirement, and then he was 66 when he died, and they never got to do those things, and so she was really upset, and, and we're sitting there at the kitchen table, and all of a sudden, all this just starts coming out of her, and she's just I mean, she's telling my sister and I everything that my dad's ever done wrong. You know, he wasn't good at this, and he wasn't good at this, and blah, 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 blah. And we're kind of going, wow, okay, Mom. I mean, you know, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and finally, you know, my sister and I kind of look at it, and we, we went, okay, we get it. We know he wasn't perfect. We understand that. But, but at least we always knew he loved us. And for us, that was the most important thing. I thought, what a, what a gift. <laughs> I mean, as imperfect as we all are, 
what a gift that was that he gave us uh, to always bring that love along behind us and support us. And, and I'm hoping someday my kids will say the same thing. I'm not sure they will, but I'm hoping someday they'll say that about me. But, but this, this sense of you know, goodness and mercy following us and, and you know, supporting us and, and, and directing us in places where there's blessing in life. Surely, surely. I mean, that, that statement, that, again, that conviction, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That trust and that confidence that, that that's what's coming along behind us and supporting us. I mean, this, this whole psalm is, is about the gift of God's love. I mean, you go all the way from the beginning where you know, the Lord's our shepherd. and He provides what we need, and out of his abundance, we're blessed. And, and all the way through, as you, you go through this movement, you know, when we, when we forget who we are and we try to overdo it, God, God has mercy on us. He stops us, and he restores our souls. And, and then, you know, he leads us out into the right places in life. And, and when we go in those places that are dark and scary, he's with us and supports us, I mean, and, and loves us. I mean, even in the midst of those who would do harm to us, God continues to bless us. And we find that eventually we, we learn to trust him enough that we understand that, you know, his goodness and mercy is always following us. It's a, it's a gift of love. And now, now, a gift has to, some dynamics to it, you know. I mean, it's very simple. If I'm going to make a gift and Sorry, Mac, this is a pretty crappy gift, but, you know, if I'm going to make a gift, <clears throat> pretty poor quality for Father's Day, but if I'm going to make a gift, there's two movements to it, right? I have to give it, and he has to receive it, right? So, you know, when we talk about this gift of love that, that God has given us in the psalm, you know, the gift has two movements. I mean, the first is it has to be given. And, and Scripture witnesses this over and over, that this is a free gift of God's love, that God's love is poured out upon us. And he, he, he's giving this to us. And, and, and the only question really is, is whether we're willing to actually open our hands and receive it because a gift has to be received. Are we willing to let God love us? Are we willing to let him be the shepherd for us? Bob has a wonderful quote in the midst of his book. He says, What I most often find in the church is a sea of hurting human beings, the majority of whom approach decisions through the lens of self-interest while they speak the language of piety. Yeah, I mean, I read through that. You can't hear it. David's back there going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I read through that and I thought, yeah, oh, man, you're just walking all over my feet. And how often we, we come with our hurts and you know, our anxieties and our desires and we come and it's really all about us and we're trying to get what we want and so we're going to dress it all up in nice religious language but it's really us doing our thing instead of us surrendering to God. And it reminds me of, you know, the, the, the alcoholic that you go to and you're trying to convince them, you know, that they need help and they say, hey, I, I don't need help. I don't have a problem with drinking. I just need another drink, right? I mean, too often that's who we are. We, we, come to the, we come to the church and we say, okay, here I am, God. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> I got this. I'm in charge. Do what I need you to do. Instead of surrendering ourselves. And, and how different that is from, from what John Wesley talked about as as trying to move forward, the end goal, if you will, of, of being in this faithful relationship. I mean, you know, the faith I want is a sure trust and confidence in God that through the merits of Christ, my sins are forgiven and I am reconciled to the favor of God. 
The believer is freed from doubt, having the love of God shed abroad in his heart through the Holy Ghost, which is given unto him, which spirit itself beareth witness with his spirit that he is a child of God. How different is it to, to come and, and try to force everything into your patterns or to be willing to surrender and understand that, you know, you're a child of God. You belong to God. And this love is poured out. And all you have to do is open your hands to receive it. It's just poured out upon you. What an amazing thing to be in that place and to live from that kind of knowledge. And if you, if you were unaware of it, uh, today, July 17th, is actually John Wesley's 315th birthday today. And Gus, if you're in here, thank you for, for reminding us of that. Gus Browning sent us a reminder note this week, but thank you. But today is his 315th birthday. I mean, this blessed assurance, as the, as the hymn calls it, that, that we're loved. We're, we're children of God. We belong to God. And if we're in that place, then the last line of this begins to make sense, doesn't it? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I shall dwell, abide, live. Not, not, I'm not just visiting. I'm not just passing through. I'm not just showing up for an hour or two on Sunday morning. This is where I live. This is my home. This is where I abide. When I uh, served the church at Atlanta, one of our members out there <clears throat> had a, a rough period of time because uh, her family decided to sell their ranch down near Uvalde. And this ranch had been in their family for several generations. They'd owned the property for over 100 years. And so uh, in her mind, you know, this was, this was her roots. You know, this is where she belonged. This was home. This was the place that she defined herself from. And, and now they were selling it. And so she was grieving that decision. And, and she and I sat down and talked one day. And it, it was really kind of hard in some ways for me to connect to that because, you know, I, I'd never had that kind of place in my life. Uh, I've been here now uh, 17 years. And, and this is the longest I've lived in any house in my life. So, so as we were doing that, I, you know, I don't have that sense of place as being, you know, the connected kind of thing that defines me. But, but she did. And we started talking about that, about how she felt unmoored and she was unsure about who she was in the world and where she was connected and all that. And, and as we discussed this and we, we, we finally kind of came down to this, this is, this is really where we want to be. I want to I dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to be connected. This is to be home. This is where I know I belong. This is my family. So that no matter what goes on out there in the world, you know, no matter what changes, no matter what losses we experience, I'm always grounded and I know who I am and where I belong. And what an amazing gift of love that is. In the midst of the craziness of life that we all live in, to know that here is home. This is where we dwell. We're children of God. We're the household of God. And no matter what else goes on out there, that doesn't change. And it defines who we are. I mean, the psalmist walks you through this, this whole kind of process of coming to realize that. And, and Bob tries to sum that up as he goes in uh, toward here, toward the end of the book, in several different steps. I'm just going to walk you through this. And as I read, kind of as he defines what the movement of the psalm is, I, I, I'm going to invite you to think about if that's where you are or that's where you need to be. So Bob talks about the, uh, the psalm in this way. First, he says, we surrender and thereby discover that this Lord, our Lord, is both sovereign and mysteriously intimate. The Lord is my shepherd. 
We experience the unexpected reduction of our tendency to want things and success through intense contact with the shepherd who is the source of all abundance. We are knocked down, and in the wake of humiliation, we learn to trust enough to be led to a quiet place where the long process of restoration begins. We willingly begin to follow the shepherd's lead on a path toward doing what is right while trying to give all the credit for everything to the guide. We face every scary message we've ever uttered to ourselves. And we stare our own death in the face and embrace its harsh, terrifying reality as an inescapable truth. Here we can learn to accept both life and death as wonderful gifts. We sit at a table prepared for us where we encounter every dimension of ourselves from the mature to the frightened. In time, we put our arms around each disparate part of who we are and we bring those parts to ourselves as an act of unconditional acceptance. When we receive God's anointing of us, God's blessing of us with oil, following our acceptance of our authentic selves, we recognize the truth that heaven has always accepted us without reservation or condition. Until we arrived at the table, we didn't know this. When we embrace heaven's acceptance, we experience joy. We discover the paradox that instead of moving toward the future, it has followed us along in the forms of goodness and mercy. And we come to understand that everything belongs to God, our history and our destiny, and that fear no longer has to control us. With our acceptance of this recognition, we experience our very first taste of genuine freedom. And this wisdom from ancient times that reminds us that, that when we surrender ourselves and we lean into God and we allow God to love us in this way, that's where we find our true identity and our true freedom. Dr. Harvey Potoff, one of my professors, uh, had a favorite story he used to tell. And it was about a little fish swimming in the ocean. You may have heard me tell this before. But one day, the, this little fish is swimming through the ocean. And as he's swimming along, he, he looks down into the ocean depths. And he realizes that, it, you know, as he goes down, it gets really dark. And he can't see what's all the way down there at the bottom of the ocean. And he begins to be afraid. You know, what, what happens if, if I sink into that and, and I sink into the depths? There might be something there that would try to eat me or, or the depths would crush me and I would die. And so... He can't understand, you know, how can I keep myself safe and how do I keep myself from sinking into the depths? And then he has this great idea. You know, if I can just catch my tail with my mouth, I can hold myself up. And so he begins to swim in a circle trying to catch his tail. And as he's swimming in a circle up from the depths comes laughter. And he says, who is that? And, and the voice comes up, you know, I, I, I'm the ocean, little fish. What are you doing? And he says, well, he says, I'm afraid that I'm going to sink into the depths and I'm either going to be eaten or I'm going to be crushed. And so I'm trying to catch my tail so I can hold myself up. And the ocean laughs again and it says, you know, little fish, if you would just stop chasing your own tail, you would discover that I'm already holding you up. So how often are we so wrapped up in chasing our own tail? trying to be our own shepherd, that we forget that there already is one who is our shepherd and who loves us abundantly. If we live into that, if we understand that, 
then we can actually begin to dwell in the house of the Lord. You know, uh, we did a couple of funerals this week. I've got another one tomorrow coming up. And uh, usually there's a reading in that, that John 14 reading we use all the time in funerals. You know, uh, in my father's house, there's many rooms and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And, and so when I think about, you know, I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm always kind of wondering what that's going to look like. And a, a, a number of years ago, uh, I happened to be in a place at a time when I discovered and I think, you know, this is what the house of the Lord for me is going to look like. It's going to look something like this. Now, the streets may not be paved with gold, but the mountains are, right? Yeah. So I don't know what that picture is for you, but, but I, I want to invite you, if you have not done it before this morning, to just open your hands and receive the gift of love from the shepherd and come and find your dwelling place in the house of the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we move through the midst of this world with, with all of the things that are constantly changes and the losses we experience and the, the things we're trying to hold on to. And it is so easy for us to begin to chase our own tail in an effort to hold ourselves up that we forget that we already have a shepherd who loves us, who leads us and who comes behind us with goodness and mercy who's with us even in the darkest of valleys and, and, and shows us the right paths in life, who stops us when we need to be stopped and restores our souls, who even in the midst of our enemies pours out blessing upon us so that we begin to learn that this great gift of love surrounds us and grounds us and that goodness and mercy always follow us. So remind us this morning who we are. So that instead of, of restlessly trying to hold ourselves up, we might come to know that we are your children, that we are of your household, and that in love, you've made a place for us. And indeed, we do indeed dwell in your house forever. Amen.